0: to Priced Out, the podcast. I'm Andrew Morgan, and I'm in here with your host, Cornelius Swart. Today, we've got a really good show. We're going to talk about the last
1: days in Chinatown.
0: Yes, thank you, because, you know, I struggle sometimes trying to get the titles of things, and there you go. You come in. We're a perfect team. We,
1: we have a rapport.
0: It's like Ebony and Ivory.
1: Perfect, in, 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 living in perfect
0: yeah. harmony. <laughs> That's not I... perfect harmony, but it is a harmony. <laughs> good job, man. That's... <laughs> So today's a really good one uh or you know this podcast uh we were kind of just a smaller group uh, gathered together who are the who are some of the players in this
1: Well so this is um a discussion we had after the screening of a movie called The Last Days of Chinatown which was produced and directed by Nicole McDonald she's from Detroit and this is about a neighborhood in Detroit that used to be Chinatown it's called the Cass Corridor and the Cass Corridor is part of it's pinched between two areas in in Detroit. One is being is downtown, which is being bought up by one billionaire, the Quicken Loans guy,
0: yeah, um, and the, Dan Gilbert,
1: yeah, Dan yeah. Gilbert. Um, and the other area, which is the Cass Corridor and the surrounding uh, in, environment, is being brought up by the um, the rich guy, the the <laughs> um, the. Um,
0: He's the owner of the Red Wings and uh, other sports teams in Detroit.
1: Yeah, he's a yeah. little Caesar yeah. Yeah. pizza billionaire. And um, so these two neighborhoods are are being bought up. They're being gentrified essentially by yeah. two people only, two billionaires. But they're doing the same thing that you always see with gentrification, buying low, selling high, yeah. tearing things down, and erasing history. And so... Nicole's film was, is a very interesting film, and after it showed, we had a discussion with myself and Sika Stanton, who did a short film called The Numbers, which is about East Portland. So we had a discussion about how do filmmakers portray communities. Yes. So It's more about the craft, but also about the issue, and it's a, it's a wonderful live discussion moderated by your beautiful host, Andrew Morgan.
0: Yeah, I, I hear uh, he has a silky, smooth tone that you'll get a chance to enjoy throughout this whole podcast.
1: So <laughs> smooth.
0: Yeah, let's get into it. When we come back, we're gonna also have a little bit of a we're gonna have a little bit of a conversation. And we promised you from the last show, we're gonna talk about Avengers and some other things. So uh sit back, relax, and enjoy. Priced out the podcast. Um, we're going to create this, this discussion around the idea of taking such a, a large subject matter and really making it, you know, making a story out of it. It's not like you can really pinpoint one particular villain. Uh, you've got this brilliant story, and we've got two filmmakers, who, or three really, who have done an excellent job of doing that. So I've got a lot of questions that I want to ask, uh, being a a person who loves documentaries and plan on making one myself in the future. So uh, we're gonna take this discussion and we're gonna uh, use it uh, for our Priced Out podcast as well as Northwest Stock is gonna use it for different uh, reasons. And so we're gonna be able to, uh, if you wanna hop in at any point, we're gonna pass the mic around. If you wanna ask, if we wanna ask each other questions, there's no formal uh, real structure to it. I just wanna make sure that we get some really good questions out there and we talk about this. So. Uh, if everyone would like to introduce themselves, uh, first let me start by introducing myself. I'm Andrew Morgan. I uh, assist uh, with helping produce the Priced Out podcast with Cornelius. And uh, I'm a transplant from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I just got here in August and looking to do a few different things in the community. And uh, this is one of the things that I, I want to do in the future is uh, make a documentary.
1: I am Todd Bays, <coughs> a transplant from Michigan. I actually moved from a Detroit suburb, Farmington. Um, worked at Detroit Public Television w- when I was there for, for seven years. And uh, am here now also wanting to do documentary style work and production work. Um, yeah. I'm Cornelius Swart and I produce Priced Out uh, in association with Northwest Documentary.
2: Uh, I'm Sika Stanton, and I produced The Numbers with Donovan Smith.
3: My name's Nicole McDonald, and I make documentary films, mainly about Detroit. I'm also a visual artist, do large-scale installations. I've been working on something for the last four or five years called the Detroit Portrait Series, which profiles Detroiters who have really sacrificed or contributed to the city who are often unsung or haven't gotten their fair due, and post them in the windows of abandoned, beautiful abandoned buildings in and around Detroit. And that's just one I mean, ongoing installation project, so that'll consume a lot of the upcoming year for me. So, all
0: right. So I want to start off with, with you two. Uh, which uh, I'm sorry, seeker, right? Cica. So I, I want to start off by asking you, what was the inspiration with you getting involved with this project? Uh, what was your inspiration behind it?
2: With the numbers, yeah. With the numbers, um, Oregon Humanities had grants to do media projects about land use and land policy in Oregon, and um, I had met Donovan and wanted to. We decided we wanted to work together, and we're both live in North Portland, which is like heavily gentrified in the landscape of Portland, and we see the similar patterns happening in East Portland, and so we decided to go explore out there and kind of look for points of connection with that part of town.
0: How important was it for you to, to be able to tell this story? Or to be, even just being a part of it, how important is it to tell this story?
2: I mean, I, I can't speak for Donovan, but for me it was really important because I feel like, you know, the people that this stuff happens to don't necessarily get a seat at the table and get a chance to like, Weigh in on the decisions and the policies that are going to affect their lives. And so, you know, even though it was like a really short piece, it was an opportunity for us to like talk to people who are being affected by these larger forces um, in a way that we knew policymakers in the city would see it later on. So that was a big deal for us.
0: So, same same question for you. Um, how you know how important was it for you to to tell the story that you were seeing every day
3: well it was the meaning of my life for that period of time um the i guess different projects that I work on that's sort of what drives my existence so between the visual arts and and storytelling through through pictures and words and sound it's um It's quite important, and the story continues, of course. I've lived in Detroit my whole life, and I'm continually interested in the place, both by what happens contemporaneously, but also its history. And I feel like its history is so rich, and I'm really sort of only scratching the surface. And I'm always so delighted and interested to get to know older people. In the city who are so wise and who have experienced so much and are willing to tell their stories and build relationships with them and um, I feel like I can never spend enough time with the interviews and I could take even with this this particular story last days of Chinatown I could have taken it in so many different directions in terms of other large areas of the city that are vacant that are being bought by entrepreneurs is the name that they refer to them, but generally white men, um, businessmen, I suppose, that have made a fortune in in one particular industry and then they've accumulated this money and they see all this cheap land and they're able to assume large amounts of it. And so there's these questions of what, what they're doing. Is this an investment or where is this going? Um, That's just one aspect. Um, With and Brown, she's got this long history in public schools in Detroit and shifting populations. And Ron Scott, he started the Black Panthers in the late 60s in Detroit, the Detroit chapter, and Coalition Against Police Brutality, all these various groups that have shaped Detroit discourse as well, and worked with longtime mayor of Detroit, Coleman Young. Um, So there's just all these stories and it was a question and even in even when telling the Cass Corridor like how many different directions to take it in and to how much to go into the way the Jeffries projects has been torn down and the Brewster projects have been torn down and they were just built not that long ago really, you know, so you see all these shifting populations and in this really short this short space and um, all of those all of those things deserve exploration and um, So that's my continuing interest.
0: So, for me, watching both of these, these uh, even the short and, and, and the full length, watching both of them, I'm left with the raw emotions of just wanting to figure out something to do, but I'm left with those emotions because there was, you presented, in both in both cases, something was presented where I see this bigger issue at hand. How do you stop yourself as a filmmaker from actually journeying? down these different roads, because it's more than just one story that, that can be told uh, here. How do you stop from making it about all the 80 other issues that are presented when it comes to gentrification?
3: Well, with regards to trying to keep an audience member on track, and even myself, if I can Thelma Shoemaker, Scorsese's longtime editor, says live with your edits. So that's something I always try and do, where you're editing, you're editing, you're immersed in it, and then you give yourself a week off, and you give yourself some distance, and then you look at it again, and you think, am I bored? Is this part lagging? Or is this part um, getting too confusing? Am I bringing up too many extraneous, going down too many sub-routes? And so that's part of it, trying to live with your edit and see what to keep in, and um, what to take out but certainly that's a continual challenge because i find the whole panorama interesting and so i want to pursue all of these trails so it's just a question of how how big of a scope and it's hard you know there's and then you run it by you run it by critics you run it by other audience members you kind of watch to see if they're nodding out or if they think things are being reiterated you know so it's it's having Advisors that you trust as well.
0: Okay, so similar question. Um, just to frame it, just to, uh, frame it, just a little bit different uh, for you is with this being a short. How do you? How did you really narrow down or help narrow down it to being a short? Because I know there was plenty, or I'm assuming there's plenty of material. So was there a lot of uh, a lot of emotion, a lot of things that were left on the cutting floor that you would have wanted to had explored?
2: Um. I mean, yeah, I always start with a longer cut and then narrow it down. And I just, I try to like think about like, well how, what's the fewest amount of words I need to like get a point across, you know? So like how little can I use from someone's statement and still get the message and the That's emotion across. Objective. I should use that. I,
3: wanna, I don't, I'm often. I'm often like, this is so interesting. Everyone will be so interested, even their facial expressions or the way they say it. But I should take your maxim of what are the fewest number of words that will do it. I haven't learned that yet. No, I agree. It's hard because yeah, it's like, I mean, part
2: of like interviewing is like I fall in love with mm-hmm. these people, you know, like and what they have to say in their story and their way for sure and that's why it's helpful to like have other people watch it and be like "No, you don't need that or this is dragging on too long you're losing me so yeah it is really helpful to have other people watch it and like consider the audience you know like
0: it's a in living here in portland seeing the the short words you know and it talks about the number one the first thing i was introduced to is well, if you're gonna move there, don't move to the numbers. I was told, oh, I don't know what that means. But, but that was that's something that people said, and I've heard similar things about you don't move to these areas of Detroit. So it, it becomes a thing when people say they wanna to move to an area, they will say, don't move to this area and that area. So for, for you guys to tell the real story behind the community, because that's really what these stories are about, is, is the community that was lost, and the community spirit that still actually remains does it get disheartening sometimes telling that story, knowing that so much community is lost? Or, or do you kind of follow what I'm saying? That it has gone, there's so many different things and there's still this, this narrow hope to maybe want to rebuild, but so much is gone. Does that, how, how, what kind of a toll does that take on you, I should say, in making a film or, or putting a project together?
3: Certainly, I'm. I get caught up in individuals' lives and and um, you know particular struggles. I guess I feel like I kind of grew up as an outsider, a little bit alone, <laughs> and um, sort of only child, sheltered sort of ex- um, existence in a way. So I've always been feeling like I'm curious and wanting to learn and wanting to. Learn about other people's community. I guess I—it's not so much like I'm immersed in the community, and I and I and I can see it being destroyed around me. It's more of learning about other people's experience. So, if that if that answers it in yeah. some way, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I think prune is for you, kind of the. How, how did you go about forming your story and, and with Price Out? Because it kind of ties in. It's the same storyline here. How did you go about uh, forming it and, and not getting too attached personally to it and still having that objective point of view that says I have to report this or I have to tell this storyline and keep my own actual this and that out of it? How, how was you able to do that?
1: Oh, I, I don't know if I ever did, but uh, probably got way too attached. And, you know, with, with ours, we had a, a strong central character that, that had a beginning, middle, and end to her personal story. So she was always keeping us in check as um, editors. We were always conscious that we had to get back to, to Nikki's story and that we could go into history. We could go into these other issues. Um but we couldn't go there for very long because the audience would always want us to come back to nikki so she was kind of the the golden thread that that we had to follow throughout the whole thing so so she was just a guiding star and that that just kept us on track
0: the beginning middle and end kind of explain that a little bit because i noticed it and that's the common theme with with a good documentary so kind of give me a uh... A, a breakdown on, on what, what you mean by that
1: well i think people have different attitudes or beliefs about this i'm pretty conventional in that I believe that drama is based on a conflict and a character is based on something that they want and that the conflict and the character has to state those things right in the very beginning and, um, and then the conflict with a character is just they want something and they can't get it and um, hopefully they get it by the time you're done with the film and so Nikki we just established what was established in the first film. This is a sequel. So in the first film she just wanted a healthy black community, a healthy neighborhood. Um and that's all she ever wanted and, and we just see that she can't get it. And in the first film she thinks she's gonna get it. Um and then in the second film she's like I thought I was gonna get it and I, I feel like I got screwed and so she continues to look for it. And that, that gives us the beginning, middle and end part. Yeah.
0: And we saw that a little bit in in, in, in the China uh, the Chinatown film where there was a gentleman who wanted you know he wanted the buildings to come because he felt like it was going to be good for his business good for the pet store and then boom he's out you know yeah. and so it's funny how that pops up I got a, a question for you are you a, a seeker, right I'm sorry yeah. <laughs> I've got a question for you as far as um, were you able to to see are you when you say you see these same things happening and the numbers that people are starting to come in and, and push out where are people going uh, now that they're being pushed out
2: um, a lot of different places i mean some of the people we talked to have already moved away like to washington salem out of state california i mean i think people just Either they've grown up here and they want to try something new or they have family somewhere else or, you no. Know.
0: What I noticed with, um, when we were talking about sort of like, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to put it this way, when you create this character maybe, that there has to be this bad guy, there has to be this villain. Mm-hmm. And so with, with the gentrification in Portland, you kind of identify capitalism as this villain, but you can't really put your hands on it. With the story that you told in Detroit, I felt like I could put my hands on Gilbert and and the Little Caesars guy. You know, it's like you put a face to the villain, but you really kind of did it toward what I felt like was like the middle of, of the film. Um, where, you know, I've seen other documentaries where people would put the enemy right up front, just present, hey, here's the bad guy, now let's hate him for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your idea in like kind of placing, uh, when you placed all of the information about Gilbert and and the other family. What was, what was your idea about that uh, and the placement of that information?
3: Yeah, I tried to set it up more the way I approached the exploration of the neighborhood in showing where I lived, what I was observing, why I became curious about the area, what I uncovered through my research and who was here before generating interest with, with, with a certain amount of knowledge. Perhaps to make the audience care about what's happening now, but also just to reflect my course of action, my approach with regards to living there and, and, and um, sort of constructing the film in a, in a way that follows the, the, the way that I experienced it. And the beginning of the film is the first shots, and it does sort of follow the, 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 the timeline that's going in Detroit in terms of the stadium starting its construction and, and continuing and the development and, and the questions. And so there is a, it, it reflects real time in that way. Also, I, I don't have that traditional approach in terms of the hero's journey, uh, the conflict resolution, good guys and bad guys. I, I don't know how I feel about the two of them. Um, with, with Illich, it's a little clearer. He's been around longer. There's certainly uh, s- some pretty morally heinous things. Uh, there's also things that I, r- g- goods that he's done for the city. And, and with Gilbert, it's even, it's even more complex. You know, he's restored a lot of buildings that were empty for a long time in Detroit, and that were slated for demolition. And that's, I, I, as a lover of architecture and history, I'm I'm so grateful for that. But there's a lot that I that I I, I have uh, a lot of charges I have against him too, and the story continues to unfold and develop in terms of how in bed he is with Illich, what what Illich's plans are now for the 50 block development zone, it's been expanded from 45 blocks to 50 blocks, how these plans will actually take shape, how many homeless shelters will close, are all of them closing? How far away are these people being shipped? What buildings will be bulldozed in the footprint of the arena and 50 block development zone? if he had his way, I propose all of them. He would want them all down. He would want all of those people gone. Of course they wouldn't come out and say that. So what kinds of paths and routes can they take in order to put the best picture on it all the time? And that's the where the investigative journalist, Louis Aguilar comes in and, and me kind of riding on his, you know, coattails to a certain extent, and then also my, what I can discover on my own as well. Uh, in terms of finding out what the What their plans are, you know, and I think their plans change, you know, depending on how much backlash they get and with ill this has been the story for 15 years in the city where he's going to bulldoze a building There's preservation groups that come out. They're marching around City Council We may or may not be able to get their ears and then Christmas Day at 6 a.m. He bulldozes the building it's like Man, and nothing happens. You know, and he does it that day because everyone's distracted doing something else and it's just a question of the media to report on it. That's just buildings, you know. Of course, people, that's a different story, but that's just one example. Um,
0: there's something you, you 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 brought into the film that, that I like that it show it was a point that we all have faced if you pay close attention to any urban community, that at some point blight and other things wear you out to the point where you're not worried about fighting city hall or any of these other things you're worried about surviving and so it's sort of like i'm just gonna look at what's right in front of me because that's all i can see these bigger battles aren't there um and that's part of the 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 crack epidemic and everything was kind of to make the group of people affected docile to say okay this is how we beat the fight out of them we take so many people out of the community and so my question for um, for you as well as you who are here in Portland, how how much had, how much have you seen where drug epidemics and other things have just taken that fight away from from a, a community voice? And you know, yeah, just starting with that question with, with you.
2: With the drug a drug epidemic? I mean, I don't know that much about it, because I didn't live here oh, okay. when, I've only been in Portland for 12 years, so I wasn't in my neighborhood when that was more of a issue, so I can't speak on it, I don't think.
0: Okay. Is that? <laughs> no, that's, that's good. Um, now, you, with Northeast Passage, covered some of this. Yeah, we did. Um, so what would you say that you, you know, what's your take on this?
1: Yeah, I and mean, my take is is really as an outsider, as a, more as a reporter, not as a member of the community. Um, so all, all I can really say is that in in this community, when I when I came here, um, almost all resources that were organic to the activists in in the neighborhood, um, traditional uh, black residents, were focused on gang prevention, gang gang violence. You know, midnight basketball. It was. It was. They were pointing all in one direction. Like that was clearly, the priority. Um, my speculation is that there just wasn't enough resources dedicated. The institutions yeah. were not giving them enough support. But I mean, it had everyone's attention. Um, it was the number one concern. And whether that's you know, a, a, you know, like kind of law and order perspective or an educational perspective, or we need more um, family support. Um, we need jobs, I mean, that was all part of the conversation, but it's just not enough money, not enough people getting the communities back is my opinion of what I saw go down. And then you know, as gentrification came in, the priorities changed, the priorities changed to livability.
0: Yeah. One of the things that, that, that I've noticed that, that does happen is the factor that there, there's this promise of jobs, that everyone's gonna get a job, but the stadium jobs sometimes 10 bucks, five bucks, you know, anywhere, you know, you're getting paid off of tips, that type of thing is usually not enough to survive or uh, enough to really make do. And this seems to be a common theme from every city, though, I've lived in or I've seen the same thing in Kansas City and Tulsa and Dallas where they have proposed this big stadium or something and then everyone's excited. But it didn't really create jobs for the community. It created more temporary labor situations, nothing that really allowed people to thrive or keep their land it just kept them in a cycle of poverty Um, how can when we recognize these type of things how can we stop that because everyone wants a a new sports arena everyone wants this and it sounds good but is this a fight that we should even fight when when people say we're gonna build a stadium or we're gonna build this new uh, shopping district that's going to create new jobs how do you fight something like new jobs you look like you had an answer
2: I mean, well, maybe you're better to talk about this, but it seems like the studies say they don't really make that many new jobs, and I mean, if I can change it from a stadium to just like luxury apartments, and oh, isn't this so great, it's like, why don't you just build stuff for the people that actually live here? Like, in my neighborhood, these luxury apartments stay empty for more than a year. What is the point? You know, it's like, who are they building all of this stuff for?
3: Like. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Mm. Well certainly remembering what you've experienced and now you've lived in these different cities and you're seeing the same pitch line and it not panning out. So how does that make you feel when you're pitched the line again? And that is an ongoing frustration I have being a lifelong Detroiter spent a number of projects pitched in the same way. They either don't pan out or they completely blow up, like this recent one, with the arena, they were supposed to hire half, 60% Detroiters to build it, which were gonna be high paid construction jobs. And then it was just exposed after the arena was completed, they hired something like eight to 12% Detroiters. These were two (laughs) two two year construction and the reason why is because there wasn't enough skilled labor actually on the books. So this is something that Olympia Development knew, the contractors knew, pretty much everybody knew if you looked into who could legally be hired for masonry work, electricity work. Olympia Development doesn't have to pay a fine. The contractors have to pay by training Detroiters in their facilities, which are out of Detroit, and we don't have public transportation, so it just—it's it, almost a mouthful to even explain. You know the repercussions to you. You—you probably eyes are glazing over. And mo- most people, that's a thing. Their eyes are glazing over, and what you remember is the stadiums coming, jobs, lights, camera, action. You don't remember all of the 60%, 12%, 8%. You know, um, so. That is the challenge, right? Is how do we remember past promises and the delivery? And uh, I'm always repeating this, but Gore Vidal wrote a book called United States of Amnesia. And you know, that's his charge against the US is that we're, you know, four years later, we elect a Democrat and four years after that, we elect a Republican and we always are, you know, it seems to be this this cycle and you've kind of got to look at a bigger picture and it takes work, certainly. Like Darrell and said, um, what are we going to do? Boycott it? You know that that, and then what? I lose my job, taking off time to to boycott. So the question is, who who can who can be out there marching around and 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 holding power accountable? That's certainly a, a societal challenge.
0: It is. I mean, I mean this thing where
2: like. The, the city doesn't even get that much revenue from the stadium, right? I feel like it's like, doesn't the city have an interest in creating revenue? Like, aren't there ways to set these things up where they could actually funnel the resources back to, into the city? I don't know, I mean, it just seems like it's like a lack of imagination to for the city to say, hey, we actually have something of value here. Like, you can't just come and develop And not give back, you know? Like, I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. (laughs) Yeah,
3: and I think that Detroit is unique in that it was devastated, bankrupt for so long, for so many decades, and we never thought development or gentrification would come to the city. And so we're in this position, I was telling Cornelius earlier, of beggars can't be choosers, like that's really our mentality where we're so beholden to anybody that has an interest. You know, we'll give them everything. It's like the, is it the Amazon competition? Where these cities are offering these huge, I mean, cities with something really to, you know, a young population, a trained population, and, and, and they're gonna give tax breaks for 10, 20 years and all of this land. and. Crazy offers, and and Detroit is in this position where no industry, you know, the the, the sort of the, the armpit of the Midwest, you know, and that was the way that we are portrayed, and that was the way that, you know, people people probably considered the city. So any activity, they think there'll be some kind of tangential profit that comes from any activity. We'll just lie down and. Let you have whatever you want.
1: Yeah, and, and Detroit's kind of very unique, and, and not as unique, you know, in in, in the sense that there's a sense of that we have no leverage, so we can't bargain with these you know mega developers. Um, but like you say, you know, cities that have great leverage, competing to give giveaways to Amazon. It's, to me, it's like there's this mentality which is still going in cities, which is they're still afraid of white flight. They've been geared for 50 years to try to bring people back. Um, and before that period, it was like cities didn't incentivize business growth because it was like, well, where else are you going to go? You're going to come here. This is where the city, this is where business happens. So it's like there's this neurotic, compulsive attitude of they have to beg industry money all the time and you know give everything away Um, and and I just I just hope that cities wake up and realize that you know the coin has flipped cities want to be I mean businesses want to be in the city center now the shoe is on the other foot Um, and that you know and we're in in the driver's seat you know as as urban populations we're in the enviable position so people should start asking for more Um, and one other thing you know, talking about like giving companies money so that they will give jobs to other people, and that that's going to trickle down I mean I think that that's been pretty pretty much disproven. Jobs are from a business point of view a kind of profit loss. you know businesses aren't in business to give jobs they're in business to make money, a job is a leakage right so it's a reverse way of going about creating a job. I mean, the one program that really worked well in the black community that was a government program was the government just gave money to people to fix up their homes. And that was the most successful community revitalization program they had. That was in the 60s. They didn't plow any, any, <laughs> any houses down. They didn't build anything new. They didn't create any, any businesses. They just gave people money so that they could stay in their homes and fix them up and everyone did. Everybody fixed their, you know, and, and jobs came out of that. Um, so give it right to the people.
0: All right. So we, we've got an audience participant. Not yet. <laughs> um, so the question I have for each of you is, what do you hope your films will accomplish? Because coming from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and going back and visiting after being here in Portland and seeing the gentrification um, and the takeover I'm seeing firsthand that gentrification is happening in Tulsa, and the people are not aware. so is that your point to you know for your films to accomplish for if you know if it's seen around in other places that people are just made aware
1: it's a It's a good question sometimes i'm I'm not shyly sure. Um, but I, I think it is to get people to know the issue to see that they have a common bond with other cities around the country that the same plays is done all over and that we're essentially all humans who are trying to navigate this and that you know on the human level individual level not the institutional level we all have more in common and so let's try to let's work together to figure it out um, and that's that's kind of that's kind of why I'm doing it.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I would hope that people in their communities like can realize their own agency and figure out how to be organized enough to shape these processes to their benefit. Because um, I think everybody wants to like have a nice place to live. So like, yeah. gentrification in and of itself isn't shouldn't be terrible. It's just when it's not inclusive or you know, when only certain groups of people get to benefit, that it's a problem. So, yeah, I mean, I would hope if people can like recognize the patterns that they can kind of...
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Certainly those things. And then part of making films for me is a way for me to find out about something and educate myself and learn. And I don't necessarily know where it's going to go. So I certainly don't know what I want people to take from it as I follow these paths. And even this conversation tonight, i learned a lot. And I was thinking when Cornelius was talking about direct sort of subsidies, um, how similar that is to FDR's New Deal program Mm -hmm. and how most Americans get behind that now but they're still opposed to socialism, and we have a president who had that uh, big deal with Whirlpool, you know, which is a direct example of what we're talking about, where you're basically paying a company like four times the amount of money for what turns out, you know, a huge loss, and and that's really interesting to think about the history of cities and <coughs> labor and 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 workforce and 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 um, and how can things change when there's an administration? And that's their example. That's one of their big bragging points is there's their deal with <coughs> Whirlpool, which is diametrically opposite to what we're saying has been proven for 100 years to work. So, um, so these conversations are really just interesting for me. Um, will humans change? Will humans learn? Will they remember? I don't, I don't know.
0: And and there's a portion from, um, and I'm using it completely out of context, but there's a portion of of the Price Out film where where a young lady says something to the extent of, if they come for me uh, at night, they're coming for you in the morning, or may have said it in reverse. But when I looked at the factor that it, it was Chinatown, which means this was a separate minority group. This was a totally different group that was completely just taken off the city map and you know another group of people can move into the area or be around the area but it was like it came for them you know like it came for another neighborhood was just removed again and so it makes me wonder what's next you know like what's on the horizon for like you know if it doesn't matter what the, when it comes to gentrification, ethnicity really doesn't play that much. It plays a huge part, but it can actually take out anyone that's an undesirable to the bigger picture.
3: Or who doesn't have a voice, you know, yeah. money-wise or in government. So, right, and that's why I named it as I did, even though the majority of the film isn't devoted to Chinese history in Detroit. It is a symbol for... A model community that was just in the shadow or footprint of so-called undesirables, and it wasn't even reported on. You know, it was it was the main focus was getting rid of this wino population, and if we have to bulldoze and and uh, kind of throw away this area, so be it. And I I mean I read every single newspaper clipping from you know 1950 when they were you know every Sometimes it'd be every day or be every month, you know, the subject just kept coming back um, till the till the whole area was bulldozed which was 64 so uh, And it's it's a lot of reading between the lines and you get a different picture You know history is often told in um, in a very s- summarized way, you know, and the m- more time that goes by, the more we have a particular picture of it. But when you're reading actual news clippings, you see how things could go in these different directions and how much voice different, different people have. Yeah.
0: It, it's, a, it's a very interesting story. When I think about how Throughout, throughout our history you know we'll come for one particular thing that's uh, that's not desirable we can have prohibition but now there's a bar everywhere but at one point people were going to jail for it it was the you know in this very community people were being chased down for selling weed now you can go up the street and there's weed shops Isn't that funny? because it's, it's the way it's
3: spun <laughs> yeah right and you know with the Chinese if they did get into any trouble it was gambling. You know, it was gambling with currency that wasn't even American currency. You know, can't, Cantonese <laughs> currency. And see these, these so-called gambling yeah. dens, right? But it's you can you can have your life destroyed over something that, years later, it's 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 uh, it can be a model citizen. Yeah.
0: Casinos are going up, and, and you know,
1: quick. well, and, you know, one part that we we cut out, ironically, of the of the film priced out was the history of the Jewish neighborhood in South Portland, South Auditorium, that was um, completely removed by urban renewal. It was just wiped off the map. Um, Every single house, every single business, new concrete, high rises and parks replaced it. And we wanted to include that history in the film to just illustrate that it was a mentality of, of just wipe it off the map, destroy the history, and put something new in there. It wasn't, it wasn't simply, um, it, only, it didn't only happen in, in the black community. It was happening all over. Um, but the, the thing about that neighborhood is that no one even knows about that neighborhood. Right. And what you see here in this neighborhood, and what is alluded to in the end of Last Day of the Chinatown, is the erasure of history is really the dangerous part. Because when we erase the history, we keep doing it.
0: That's really the hope of why why all of us are here right now, you know. To even answer the the, the question uh, from the audience member is that, you know, what's the point of these fam- you know, of the film making, and what you know, what do you want to accomplish? This is, I, I believe, that's it. That statement feeds to it that it's like we won't go silently in the night. We, our voice will be heard, and we will be a voice for those who haven't had a voice. And I think that that's that leaves us in a good place to to probably wrap it up right now unless anyone else has anything extra that they want to add to our conversation all right well, thank, you. Thank, so thank, you.
3: Well, thank you
0: really thank you about- oh. oh. thank you and welcome back in to priced out the podcast i'm andrew morgan and here with cornelia swart and so Overall, I love that conversation. Of course, not just because I was a part of it, but uh, being a new filmmaker, uh, you know, I really want to learn more from those individuals who've gotten their feet wet, who are doing it, you know, who've gotten their hands dirty. And you three were uh, three individuals that really know how to tell a good story. And so I was very appreciative of being able to do it. So, uh big shout out to Northwest Doc. That's where we actually record the podcast, and this is where we record it uh, after the screening. So, can't say enough about Northwest Doc.
1: Yeah, they they are our, um, our fiscal sponsor, our production partner um, for priced out. I was artist in residence for two years at Northwest Doc, and um, they show uh, films here. They produce films in house. They have classes and camps. They have a great um, program called DIY Doc um, Workshop, and that is like a ten week course where you go from concept to screening at the Clinton Street Theater. It's an end-to-end experience, and there's some great films that get produced by that. So they do some wonderful things here, I'm really grateful that uh, that they're a resource here in Portland.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. So uh, you want to get into this conversation? You want to get to the good stuff, the serious part, The real films. The ser- the yeah, real films. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not say- <laughs> saying that, but definitely Avengers on a scale of 1 to 10. I give it an 8.
1: You give it an eight. My daughter said it was like the greatest action film of all time. People yeah. were laughing and crying and cheering uh, yes. in Boston where she saw it. And, and I, I didn't get that reaction. You know, I mean, yeah. my, my crowd was not that amped. It was about a week afterwards. But I was really pretty impressed that it was, it was it's yeah. got to be one of the best of those Marvel movies.
0: From beginning to the end, it comes in, someone dies. It's like, what? Mm. Just right away, two people die. Like they legit die, and it's like it, I mean, credits are still rolling, and, yeah. and there's bodies. So you you know, anytime you get that much violence, hey, God bless America.
1: So. <laughs> and it's a long movie. It's a lot of movies, but, but it really doesn't. Um, it doesn't drag. It doesn't feel like oh man, we still got like another hour of this
0: so I saw it twice first time I loved it in 3d it was everything that you would want in the new movie experience because there is a difference between the nostalgia like the old school I can watch it and watching it without 3d I was just like eh 2d yeah but 3d I was like oh you know jump in here and there so it was such a great it was a great film that direction so for me it's a I won't go see it a third time but I will definitely uh get out there um I will get out there and get the dvd and I also will probably be in line or be one of the first people to see part two.
1: So, yeah. So, spoiler alert, everybody basically dies at yeah. the end of this film. I mean, point, everybody knows. say yeah, that. Yeah. yeah everybody knows that. Go
0: see the movie. If you haven't, we just spoiled it for you. Yeah. But Have
1: so to... but the question is then how do they negotiate the rest of the Marvel Universe yeah. after this film? And so, so someone was saying that, um, was it, Marvel Girl actually happens in the 90s?
0: Yes. Yeah. It goes back. So uh Ant-Man like Deadpool is always doing something different. Ant-Man's been in jail throughout this ordeal because his involvement in Civil War got him locked back up. So mm-hmm. Ant-Man and Wasp are uh they are, a totally separate group of people doing something different, but it's during the time frame.
1: But I mean but half of the planet has died. So right, the half of the universe yeah. has died. So how do they how do they uh, they just ignore yeah. yeah, like how how does a superhero do anything but deal with that. Half of the universe. Yeah, being is dead. dead. that's kind yeah. of a big crisis. I mean, everything would yeah. be on fire, basically, and you know.
0: I think they're going to date it just a little bit before the yeah. big event. They right. have to. They, have, they to. have to. So yeah, and then I think uh, we'll have yeah. I think those are it. Be, and then we'll be with Avengers two again. By yeah. the, you know, that's all we'll get from Marvel over the next year. So. Oh
1: really? So they're not planning any other movies other than um, Ant Man and Wasp and Marvel, Marvel.
0: Yeah, uh, Captain Marvel. That's Captain it. Marvel. Yeah. So I think that. That's... Uh,
1: Marvel Girl. I used call him Marvel yeah, Girl. Yeah, I was going to say. It, is that, it, is that yeah. sexist or misogynist? It's just... <laughs> yeah. It was...
0: It was... Yeah. Teetering it's, that it's, line. It's,
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't do that here. So... Uh, I, I knew I had to slip up <laughs> somehow, right? <I> mean.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it'll be good. So, I, like you said, we'll, we've got other movies. I, I think I'll go see Ant-Man more than likely and we'll probably talk about Ant-Man because, hey, we all love superhero movies.
1: There's been... I mean... I mean Black Panther Thor and then mm-hmm. Avengers it's been a great run for them just yes.
0: it's, it's I, been amazing I would challenge you uh and I have it if you you know if you wanted to it, watch the commentary on Black Panther it mm-hmm. is great uh Ryan Coogler does a really great job on the commentary just kind of discussing really more set design mm-hmm. than anything uh mm-hmm. you know he didn't get deep into the methods or different, but it was just mainly a lot about the set design and uh, in fact, he had the director of, of set design, whatnot, what you know, there. So mm-hmm. it was it was a really good commentary. I enjoyed it. So, hmm. all right. I well, well. What and we, we
1: get- have a director's commentary on the oh. newly released, Boom. priced out DVD. Thank you. Which you can order if you're an institution or a school um, online on our website, pricedoutmovie.com. Um, so please check that out. It's a double movie set it's one dvd but it's two films on it it's our original northeast passage and then the sequel priced out so uh, please do check that out and also subscribe to this podcast on youtube or itunes we'll probably be up on soundcloud um pretty soon i'm just going to put that out there just to give us a deadline and you know (laughs) follow us on facebook and instagram because we have lots more updates coming
0: all right so see you guys next week on priced out the podcast